morning, if you have them open maybe already, to James chapter number 4. And we're going to continue our series today out of the book of James. I've loved this little study. And uh, it's been a long time since I've spent this much time in this small little book in the New Testament. There's so many great things in the book of James, and I've enjoyed it. And the uh, Lord just kind of put this on my heart about just being an authentic Christian. And I've mentioned this many times that what this world needs is it needs real Christians, genuine, not fake, not phony, listen, not Sunday only Christians, all right? Brother Webster, good to see you, buddy. Been praying for you, and uh, Brother Webster's trying to have some uh, a procedure done on his hip, and uh, he's had a few other things that the doctor's been trying to help him with, and so we've been praying for Brother, Brother, Brother Webster back there, and so good to see Brother Webster, and uh, he's such a blessing to us. Well, we've covered... Uh, just, just to kind of give you a quick review, there's so many things we've covered about that we need to be authentic in, and in the weeks gone by, we've covered having an authentic faith, we've talked about having an authentic obedience, an authentic devotion to God, how about this, we talked about having an authentic friendship, and then we talked about having an authentic wisdom, today we're going to talk about something that really is very, very dear to all of us that know Christ, and that's an authentic grace, an authentic grace. And we sing that song, Amazing Grace, right? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I'm glad for the grace of God. If it were not for the grace of God, where would we be today, right? And so we think about this. Now, you know, again, you think about the grace of God. There's really one solution for all issues that we, you and I, face in the Christian life. And that is this matter of grace. And I love when the Bible talks about it because it talks about God doesn't just give you a little dose of it. The Bible says he giveth more grace. And we're going to see that time and time again in our lesson this morning that, that whatever we need, that God is all sufficient, that his grace will meet our every needs. And so important that we see this this morning because God is the only source of grace. He's the only source of grace. And when we need it, there's only one place to go to get it, and it's not Walmart. All right? Now, Walmart sells a lot of things, but I haven't found grace on a shelf in Walmart. But I have found that if I go to the Lord, that He giveth grace. We have access to more grace. Now, it's interesting because when you look at chapter 4, and we're talking about this matter of grace, look what the Bible says in the first six verses, and that's going to be our text for uh, the, the lesson this morning we're just making our way through. We're on chapter 4, almost in the last chapter. And the Bible says in verse 1, From whence comes wars and fightings, notice these two words, among you. Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God, whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think 
Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto who? Unto the humble. Now, great passage here this morning. A lot of things, so I'm going to try to move through it this morning. But as you think about this, our needs, as it says here in the Word of God, it's, it's giving description about our lives. And of course, our need is great. Every one of us have many needs. But listen, no matter how great your need is today, His grace is greater than your need, whatever it is. Whatever you're going through, uh, the Bible reminds us about the Lord Jesus in John 1.14. Notice it says, and we know this, the Word, this talks about the incarnation, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the Bible says while He was on this earth that folks beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. But notice this description, He was full, full of grace and truth. And the word full there, I've mentioned this before, means overflowing, not just, not just filled up, but overflowing. And everywhere Jesus went, you could see many times when he dealt with people in a very, even sometimes in a very uh, abrupt or harsh way, and we would, sometimes people would say, boy, I can't believe Jesus said that. Listen, everything Jesus said, he said the truth, but he said it in love. And there were times where he said something, and even when he dealt with people that opposed him, you still see the evidence of God's grace. Uh, I, I think you look through the Word of God, grace is evident all the way through the Word of God. Remember in the days of Noah, how that God saw the wickedness of man, and God told Noah to build an ark, and God was going to basically wipe out civilization, but there's a verse right there in that passage that says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. See, grace isn't an, only a New Testament concept. Grace is something that has always been because it is one of the very characteristics of our God, this matter of grace. And we need a supply of God's grace. And the thing I love about it is, look, there are times where, uh, especially in this part of the country, remember when, when they start talking about, and hopefully we won't hear it, in the months ahead, but when they start talking about hurricanes, and then you go to the store. Last year, Brother Kenny and I, and probably him more than me, must have went to I don't know how many stores to get some cases of water. And every time he, he'd come back and I'd say, how many did you get? None. They were all gone. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, everything's gone. He says, I mean, there is nothing there. And sometimes in life, humanly speaking, the supply is depleted. But can I tell you, God's never going to run out of grace. <laughs> God's grace is sufficient. It's all sufficient. And he giveth more grace. So what James is writing about here, he's talking about the grace of God, how God gives grace. But notice how he starts in verse number one. He says this, number one, we must deal with the old nature. Anybody else in here struggle from time to time with the old nature, you know? And you'd be lying if you didn't say, I do, because it's something that you constantly have to deal with day in and day out. You know why? Because we're still in this flesh, right? We're saved. We know that, that heaven is our home, that God is our Father. But that old nature seems to kind of come and go, 
and it plagues us many times. Now, I've given you a couple of easy definitions here, and, I, and maybe you've seen these before, but I want you to remember these. These would be good to hang on to because they're, they're really easy to understand. Notice two words here. The first one is this matter of mercy. Now, we're talking about God's mercy here, so look at the simple definition. It's mercy is God withholding from us what we deserve. Can you think of something that we deserve and God withholds it from us? Hell, right? We all deserve to go to hell. But, but God's mercy, God is merciful. If somebody said justice made the demand and mercy answered in the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm so glad that we have a wonderful Savior who gave his life. Listen, Jesus gave his life for sinful people like you and me. The reality is Jesus didn't get much, did he, when he died for our sins because there's nothing good about any of us. Uh, you know, there's none good, no, not one. All our righteousness are, are as filthy rags. So I'm glad for the mercy of God. But here's the other word I gave you in your notes is the word grace, and that's what the lesson's about today. See, mercy is God withholding from us what we deserve. Grace is God giving to us what we do not deserve. See the difference between the two? And I'm glad for the grace of God. Many times God gives to us something that we do not deserve. How about this? You know Ephesians chapter 2, right? For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God's grace is something that he gives to us. We don't deserve it, but listen, aren't you glad that God is ready to give grace? How about this? The Bible tells us God gives us grace in time of need. Uh, maybe you came this morning to church and maybe you haven't told anybody, but maybe there's a genuine need in your life right now, something you're going through, something you're struggling with. And, and maybe the only person that knows outside of you is the Lord. But can I tell you that if you need help, God's grace will help you with whatever need it is in your life. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Boy, if you underline things in your Bible, there's a good phrase right there. We, look, we're not talking about the Old Testament priesthood. We're talking about a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. And the Bible says, in case you're wondering who it is, Jesus, the Son of God. And the Bible says, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Listen, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he was without sin. Jesus never succumbed to it. He never gave in to it. He didn't hurl some foul accusation out of his mouth. He didn't lose his temper Jesus was perfect in all points. He was without sin. And the Bible says here that he is the great high priest because he was without sin. Now think about this. It's wonderful to think about all those things about him and who he is. And sometimes people think, well, you know, he's, he is that great high priest. I just wish that uh, maybe there was a chance that I had an opportunity that maybe I could talk to him sometime. Maybe I could get to know him. Can I tell you that you can because of the grace of God? Look what the Bible says as you read on right there in Hebrews chapter 4. 
the Bible says, let us, that's a command from God, let us come boldly under the throne of what? The throne of grace. Hey, what a great description of when you, look, when you have a need in your life, when you need help with something, you're not just coming to God, you're coming to the throne of grace. And the Bible says, as we come, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now go back to our two definitions again. It says that we might obtain mercy, that we would obtain God withholding from us something that we deserve, and with, the, with Him withholding what we deserve, it says we would find grace. In other words, God's going to give us what we do not deserve to help us in a time of need. Now you think about this because God's not describing here in Hebrews chapter 4 what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. That's, that judgment in the Word of God is for all the unsaved people. This is for people who know Christ as their Savior. And look, in our lives, we need to understand God has grace when we're going through times that we have a real need. And the question this morning is, in your life, and you don't have to answer this, but rhetorically, do you need God's grace today? Is, is something in your life, uh, you know, God is willing to give us what we don't deserve. And it's interesting in this concept, context here, James chapter number 4, because look at it again. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible open, I wanted to show you something that I saw when I was studying for the lesson. Look at last, last time we got together and we ended in chapter 3. Look at the last verse in chapter number 3. The Bible says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in what? Peace. Of them that make what? Peace. Isn't it interesting that James, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, ends chapter number 3 talking about peace, but then he picks up in chapter 4, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? So it's interesting how he picks this up in chapter number 4. Remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes? He said this, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus is interested in people that want to make peace. I read a, a little account about Abraham Lincoln, and they, a true story. They said Lincoln was out one day, and he was talking with two of his sons as they were walking along, and both of his sons were crying. Somebody saw Lincoln. They saw his two boys. They saw the boys crying. And they asked him, they said, why are your sons crying? And Lincoln looked at the man and he replied, well, they're crying for the same reason that the whole world is in tears. He says, I have three walnuts and they both want two. Now, some of you will get that later on. <laughs> two boys, they both want two. And if you check your math, that doesn't work out. But that's the way we are in this world. Lincoln understood something that we need to understand this morning is, is that the Bible says, from whence cometh wars and fightings among you. I'll tell you where the, the wars and the fightings come from. They come from our members, our old nature. You know, instead of allowing God's grace to minister to us, what we do is we allow the flesh to, to win out. And we've got to be careful about that. Look at number two. 
because not only should we deal with the old nature, but then he mentions here, secondly, that the war is within us. There's a war going on. Look, I, I know that there was bombing in Syria, but can I tell you, if you're like me or anybody else, there is a battle going on right inside of you today. And, it, and here's, here's the reality, is there's a battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. And the one that you feed the most is the one that's going to win. And it's easy to give in to the flesh. Uh, you know, the, the fleshly desires. And uh, you, read, you go back and read what we call the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul wrote that to a church, believers in Christ, who were carnal Christians. The word carnal, uh, we see in this part of the country, we see a lot of cruise ships go out, carnival cruise ships. The word carnal means flesh. Carnival cruise lines deals with the flesh. And so when you understand there's this war going on every day, how many of you, how many of you thought, oh boy, I get to get out of bed this morning? Uh-huh, about three of us. And everybody else, your old flesh said, hit the button again. Don't get out of bed. Forget about going to church, right? I mean, seriously, the old flesh. You know, I, I, I've said many times, I wish one of the attributes that we shared with God would be omnipresence because I would love to be in my bed right now and be teaching Sunday school at the same time, but I can't do that, all right? But there's this battle, this spiritual battle, this war that's going on. And in verse number one, he says, why are there these wars and fighting among you? He says, come they hence, even of your own lust that war in your members. He says, ye lust, and notice, and have not. Look, it's, it's just like Lincoln's sons, right? The truth is, the flesh wants more and more and more, right? Uh, I made the mistake. I said, I have to be careful about what I say sometimes whenever I'm speaking. And I remember, as some of you might remember, I was talking about my wife's kryptonite, something that my wife struggles with if she gets a bag of them. And there's a man sitting in here this morning that heard me say that my wife cannot just eat one Lay's potato chip. And he went out and bought six bags of Lay's potato chips and gave them to my wife. Now, he thought he was doing her a favor because he bought the ones that were 65% less fat, but they did not taste like the real Lay's potato chips, all right? You're going to have Lay's, but you got to eat the real stuff, none of this imitation stuff, all right? But I appreciated his heart, but here's the thing is, is we, when, when it comes to the flesh, we want more and more and more. You think about all the, the Bible times, and even in this day and hour, why do, why do nations fight against nations? Because they've got land, but they want what? They want more. The same thing in life is we never have enough, right? I've got two cars, but I'm going to go buy another one today, right? I've got a nice house, but I need another one, you know? And it's, it's just the reality of things is that, that is why the, the, the fightings and the wars among us, he, look at verse number uh, two in chapter four, he says, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight in war, ye, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Now, let me ask, ask you a simple question this morning. If we're Christians, how, now think about this, and you have to give me a Bible answer, 
How can a Christian obtain something? It's in the, pa it's in the passage. There you go. I heard it by, by praying, right? And who is it that helps us to receive those things? Yeah, right? Okay. Now, again, if it's something that the flesh wants, understand there are many times there are things that we want that God doesn't want us to have. You know, and, and we'll go out. I've done this many times in my life. I'll buy something. You know, how many of you have bought a new car and then you get the payment book and you're like, boy, that was a dumb move, right? You know, impulsive shopping is, is bad news. Don't do, don't do that. And you've got to be careful. When I was a kid growing up, my dad meant well, but my dad always wanted us as children to have a good life. And he, because he wasn't a saved man, he equated if we had things, we'd be happy. We all know that things don't make you happy, right? So what my dad would do is he would go out and he would, he would charge Christmas. He'd buy us all kinds of stuff. And I listen, don't get me wrong. I always enjoyed it, appreciated it, you know, the things that we got when we were kids. But my dad, when I got older, he told me, he said, son, he said, it took me the entire year to work to pay that off. And he said, as soon as I paid it off, I, I turned around and did it all over again. And, and, if, and I told him, I, we were, I was a grown man by this time, we were talking, and I began to tell him some of the things that I remember as a kid that really made Christmas to me. And when I started telling my dad, it wasn't, it wasn't these toys and all the stuff he was buying me, it was things that we did, time we spent together. And my dad looked at me and he was thinking, boy, I could have saved a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the thing is is that we're always wanting things but if we're a child of God how do we obtain the things that we need did you hear what I said there obtain the things that we need now what does the Bible tell us well it tells us that we need to ask God in faith believing look how many of you understand if you're a Christian and God's your father if you have a genuine need and you ask him, how many of you know God's going to meet that need in your life, right? Has God ever met one of your needs, right? That's what the Bible tells us. So when you think about this, you know, look in verse number three again. He says, ye ask and receive not. Why? Because ye ask how? Amiss. So in other words, if I could put it this way, I don't think it's doing a misjustice here, but there is a wrong way to pray. You know, remember the model prayer that Jesus used? Now, he didn't say, like, like most folks in their lives, they, they pray a prayer over and over again. The Bible talks about vain repetition. Jesus didn't say every time you pray, you have to pray these words. He says, when you pray, pray in this manner. And he gave us really a formula, and it began with, hallowed be thy name, right? Holy is our God. And so when we pray, we're praying to a father that loves us, but listen, we go through the motions of prayer and we never get our prayers answered because we don't ask for the right thing in the right way. Uh, you know, when Jesus, again, taught his disciples, he said, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, daily bread. Our prayer needs to begin with one thing, and that is with giving God the glory, and making sure that we're honoring the Lord, he says unto them, when you pray, our Father, which is in heaven. 
Now, listen, that still helps us understand that there's a battle going on inside of us. And that, for many of us, day in and day out, that battle is something that rages. And here's why. Because what, what we want, what we think we need to have, is in direct opposition to God's will for our lives. You understand? That many times the things that we desire are not genuine needs, they're more of wants. You ever heard somebody talking about that? Our wants and our needs, all right? And so when we pray sometimes, it, it, it makes it evident that there's this battle that's raging. And I've, I've seen a lot of times in our lives, myself included, where when we pray and we try to, we're trying to straighten out everything that's in the world, and what we're doing is we're neglecting the one thing, and that is that we need to straighten things out in our own hearts. There's something in our hearts. We're praying, but we're praying amiss. We're asking for the wrong things, or, or we're not asking in the right sort of way, and we've got to be careful about this. Listen, the, the, the real issue needs to be something that needs to take place inwardly before it can take place externally it needs to take place in our hearts the internal wars as he says here come from our own members now the question i mentioned earlier is this has god conquered your heart do you know christ as your savior and if listen if you are saved this morning is there this conflict this war that's going on within you Sometimes I get around some people and it's like they're like, a, they're like a volcano that's just waiting to erupt. And it's like you, you just say anything and it just sets them off. And you have to be careful about certain things that you say. Look at verse number four again. Here's what he says. And notice the strong language here in verse number four because he's talking about this war inside of us. And he says, ye adulterers. And adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, uh, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. He's talking about this war. He's using strong language here. When he uses words like adulterers and adulteresses, you know what he's dealing with? He's talking about spiritual adultery. That's what he's dealing with. Because the reality is this, is that you and I need to be just like... We should be to our spouses. We, sh we need to be true to Christ. Uh, we need to be loyal to Christ. Our relationship needs to be with the Lord and not with the world. Because listen, if our relationship is more in tune with this world, and there are a lot of Christians today who struggle with this because, look, they want to have one foot in the church and they want to have one foot in the world. If you straddle that fence long enough, you're going to fall one way or the other. One of them, and, and by the way, the world will pull you in. It will, it will pull you to it. And our relationship with the world, according to this passage, it begins with what the Bible calls lust. Now, that kind of relationship of developing a relationship with the world, here's what happens is when that lust is there, it creates a desire. Look what the Bible says. You're probably familiar with 1 John 2. But the Bible says here, John writes, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me read that again. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. 
Now let me take those three things, and by the way, if you've ever looked at it, it's an interesting little study, but when Jesus was uh, tempted of the, of the devil in the wilderness, and there were those three temptations in Matthew chapter 4, those three areas that Jesus was tempted, remember the Bible said earlier, Hebrews chapter 4, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he was without sin. Remember what Jesus did whenever the devil tempted him with the first one? How did he respond? Yeah, he, he responded with scripture, didn't he? And the second temptation, how did he respond? With scripture. And the third one? With scripture. Jesus didn't give in to those temptations. Well, what were those, those areas that Jesus was tempted in? The same areas that you and I are tempted in every day. Here they are right here in 1 John 2. The, the, the area of the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, look at the first one. The lust of the flesh is the desire to have something that God does not want you to have. You know, do you remember when you were a kid? And you wanted something and your parents didn't want you to have it? And you just kept it up and kept it up until you hopefully finally got it? And then you found that you weren't any happier because you had it? And so, that, look, this matter of the lust of the flesh, it's a desire to have something that God doesn't want you to have. Look at the second one, the lust of the eyes. What is this? It's not a desire to have, it's the desire to do something that God doesn't want you to do. Sometimes we do things, and God doesn't want us to do those things, but it's this, it's this fleshly desire. It's the lust of the flesh to have. It's the lust of the eyes to do. And then the third one is the pride of life. Well, the pride of life, again, goes back to this matter of the lust and desire. The pride of life is the desire to be something that God doesn't want you to be. You know what you, the prayer of your heart should be? God, I want to be what you want me to be. But a lot of people... They want to be their own person. They want to be their own man. And where does all that come from? The war within us. You know, because we're struggling inside and we haven't dealt with the old nature. And God reminds us, look at this, the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth for how long? Forever. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know why? Because God giveth more what? Grace. God giveth more grace. So look, you understand this morning, James says we've got to deal with the old nature, all right? It's there. We've got to mortify it. We've got to put it to death. And he says, because there's this war that's going on within us, but then notice number three is the best part, and we've already talked about it, is we have access to grace. God's given us grace. And, and can I tell you, look, grace and help is not a million miles away. Matter of fact, God lives within us. He who is full of grace and truth, Colossians 2.9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and look at this, and ye are complete in him. See, we don't have to, we don't have to, you know, God's not some distant uh, deity that we cannot uh, understand, we cannot sense his presence. God's health is ever present, it's there for us. Ephesians chapter 3, <clears throat> in whom we have boldness and access, look at the word, with confidence by the faith of him. Look, folks, if you need help, you need grace, you're struggling with what's going on inside of you, all right? The old nature keeps popping up. Listen, go to God for help. 
God giveth more grace. There is nothing that we need that God cannot supply. Whatever it is this morning, God's grace is sufficient. There are times that we seek satisfaction from places and we never find that satisfaction because here, as the songwriter wrote, Brother Carl, Christ is all I need. I don't need the things of this world. Uh, you know, those things, look, they, they entice us. They try to lure us in. But folks, listen, this morning, the only thing that you and I need today is we need the Lord. We need the Lord, and we need His grace. Uh, I love what Moses said unto the Lord in Exodus 33. If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. You know what he was saying? Lord, I need you. I need you. I need your grace. And God has given it. Listen, remember when Jesus was on this earth and he was about to depart, he was about to go to Calvary, and he was giving some final instruction to his disciples. And he says, I'm going away. And they didn't like to hear that. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But he says, I am going to send another comforter. And that comforter is the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God. And I love the fact, listen, remember what Jesus said? His promise was this, and lo, I am with you how long? Always, right? Now, how is that possible? Because the Bible says in John 14, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now remember, listen, if you paid attention this morning, where's the war going on? Inside of you, right? Guess who else is inside of you? The Holy Spirit of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world, right? Folks, listen, I'm going to tell you something. It's a reality that we're dealing with things but God giveth more grace. James is saying, look, I know you're struggling. I know there's, there's wars and fighting, and it's not over in Syria. It's inside of you. But he says, look, you have access to the grace of God. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're almost done. God is able. I just love that phrase right there, God is able. If that was only part of the verse, that's enough right there. But God is able to make how much grace? All grace abound toward you that ye, having, always having all sufficiency in how many things? All things may abound to every good work. See, we don't have to beg God. We don't have to convince God that we need His help. We just have to claim God's help, claim the grace of God by faith. It's something that's already available to us. Everything that we need for victory in this Christian life has already been provided for us in the person of Jesus Christ. He's already provided it for us. And what God does is he giveth and he giveth and he giveth more grace. And aren't you glad this morning for the grace of God? What do you and I need to do? Receive it by faith. The grace that God gives. You know what kind of grace God gives? The kind that we've been talking about all morning, authentic grace, real grace. Grace that, that will change our lives. Look, I really believe it's God who desires for us to give Him the entire devotion of our hearts. God wants you to be totally devoted to Him. And God will give you the grace for whatever your need is in your life.
Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for the grace of God, for how it meets every need, and you are the God of all sufficiency. Lord, I'm so thankful that I'm saved this morning, that folks here this morning know Christ as their Savior. And it's a reality that as long as we're on this earth, that that nature, the old man, Lord, is still will pop his ugly head up from time to time. And that the war will rage in our hearts sometimes. But Lord, I'm glad that you've helped us by your grace to not to give in to those lusts and the desires. But Lord, I'm glad that we have the grace of God to help us in those times of need. We are thankful for our great high priest and for his throne of grace. And may we approach it boldly and may we do it often. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.